So Jesus' familiar parable in today's gospel lesson has really over the centuries filtered down into the ordinary, common, everyday language that we use. Frequently in the news, we hear reports of good Samaritans. I heard a couple just this past week, people who render aid and help to others in time of need. Now often, but not always, the person rendering the aid and the person receiving the aid are complete strangers. They've never met before, they don't know one another at all. And then when help is needed in an emergency, we don't really care who is giving it, do we? Help is needed when help is needed. And there are good Samaritan laws in many places, including here in the Commonwealth of Virginia, which protect a person who, quote, in good faith, renders emergency care or assistance without compensation to any ill or injured person at the scene of an accident, fire, or any life-threatening emergency. This from the Code of Law here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Now, some of you may have actually acted as a good Samaritan in the course of your life in an emergency situation. Anyone ever done that before? Oh, several of you. Some of you may have been on the receiving end of help from a good Samaritan. Anyone been on that end? Okay, there you go. So we know what this feels like. It all stems from the parable that is before us today and the question that prompted Jesus telling of that parable. And it is that question which serves as the basis for the message today. And who is my neighbor? May the Lord's rich and abundant blessing rest upon the preaching and the hearing and the living of his word. For Jesus' sake. Luke alone of all four gospel writers records this parable of Jesus and it is at the same time beloved as well as convicting because in the parable Jesus challenges us to move beyond mere head knowledge, to move beyond having the theologically correct answer and put love into action by serving our neighbor. As Luther tells us, Christ is in our midst as our neighbor. Luther also says, God doesn't need your good works but your neighbor does. The lawyer in the gospel lesson for today asked two questions, and the first of which is, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And we may think that's a rather presumptuous question because as Lutheran Christians, we know our salvation doesn't hinge on anything we can do. It is God's free gift to us in his son, Jesus. But there's the question, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? His intent was not motivated by goodness. His intent was to entrap Jesus in his own words. And in fact, the word here used for put him to the test is the same root word as when Jesus himself was put to the test. 
tempted by the devil in the wilderness? That's the first question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus throws it back at him by asking him, well, what is written in Torah? What do you read in God's law? How do you understand that? And the lawyer immediately shoots back with the correct answer, citing in scripture that speaks both of loving God and loving neighbor, the latter of which we hear in that closing verse from the Old Testament lesson today. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus commends the lawyer for his answer, but it doesn't end there. That unholy intent which prompted the first question now leads to a second question. Well, who is my neighbor? And the lawyer was expecting the correct answer to be a fellow member of the house of Israel, one of God's chosen people. That's who his neighbor was, right? Thus far and no farther. His neighbor certainly wouldn't include any outsiders, any foreigners, any unclean Gentile trash, would it? And so the stage is set for Jesus' parable. Now the road from Jerusalem, several thousand feet above sea level, goes down, 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 down to Jericho on the plain below. It's a twisty, winding road. This is what it looks like today. Now, you wouldn't really think that, well, that's not so bad. Well, that's because a lot of the descent has been graded out for vehicular traffic. You can see a car there on the road right there in front of you. But that's not what it looked like when Jesus told this parable. It would have looked more like that. A narrow, twisting road, maybe a little bit bigger than that, but boulders all around the corners and bends in the road, perfect for hiding out and ambushing unsuspecting passers-by. People, in fact, were frequently robbed on this road, especially those who traveled alone, which is why people traveled in groups. Now, ironically, the very people we think would be the ones to render aid, to give help in time of need, well, they pass that injured man by, the priest, the Levite, both of whom served in the temple at Jerusalem. We're not told why they refused to help. It might have been for some compelling reasons. Maybe their rotation for service in the temple was coming up and they had to get into Jerusalem, get to the temple as soon as possible. Or maybe it was for reasons that we still use today. Hmm. Best not to get involved in that. I don't know who this person is. Maybe it's a trick. I'm too busy, I can't deal with this right now. Gotta go, gotta go. 
Well, the one person we would think would not stop and render help is the one who does, a Samaritan. And that might not seem like a big deal to us today, but at the time when Jesus told this parable, it was a very big deal. We need to remember that Jews and Samaritans despised one another. They would go out of their way to avoid even coming into contact with one another. And that is what makes this parable of Jesus so very striking. The despised Samaritan gets off his donkey. He renders aid to the injured man. He takes him to an inn. He pays for his care. That's the two denarii we hear about in the gospel lesson. A denarius was one day's wage for the average worker. And he gave him two denarius. So what would that come to in today's monetary system? I'd imagine it'd be at least several hundred dollars. You can argue that. But the point is, he did it. He interrupted whatever it was he was doing to do all of this. And Jesus' words in closing are spoken not just to the lawyer. His words are spoken to each and every one of us. You go and do likewise. You see, our neighbor is not just someone who looks like us, who lives near us. Our neighbor is anyone who is in need of our help. Our neighbor is Christ in our midst. You probably never heard of this person before. Bartolome de las Casas. Anybody heard of him before? A couple, a couple of you, which I'm surprised at, but thankful to hear. He was a contemporary of Luther, born just one year after Luther in the year 1484. He was a Dominican friar from Spain, one of the earliest Europeans to come to the New World. At the age of eight in the year 1493, the young Las Casas watched Columbus himself make a proud parade through the streets of Seville, Spain on the return from his first voyage to the Indies. Bartolome's father was a merchant and he was part of Columbus' second voyage to the Indies to establish business interests there. And in the year 1502, at the age of 18, before his ordination to the priesthood, the young Las Casas himself went to the New World, apparently as part of his father's business interests. Fast forward a few more years to the year 1513, two years after his ordination as a priest, Las Casas becomes a chaplain to the expedition that conquered Cuba. 
And this man became a first-hand observer of the genocide of the native peoples of the New World. In his book, History of the Indies, Las Casas, many years later, becomes very explicit about what he began to see. Within two years after the arrival of Columbus, one half of the 250,000 Indians on Haiti alone were dead, murdered, mutilated, or driven to suicide. Now, the church itself questioned whether or not Indians were completely human or, in their obvious differences, not some sort of subspecies between animal life and humankind. Theologians of repute argued from Aristotle that some people were meant to be domesticated or enslaved for their own good. And we marvel, how is this even possible that people could think this? That was the mindset in the first half of the 16th century. Over against all of this, Las Casas held fast to the notion that all humanity is one. And he stood up to the most powerful elements of his society, to the church, to the crown, and to the conquistadors. Encomienda is a Spanish word that implies, means a large tract of land. Think plantation. In some cases, entire villages. These encomiendas were awarded to Spanish settlers by the Spanish crown. Most important of all, though, is that the Indians who lived on the land were part of the package. Las Casas himself was granted such an encomienda, but he gave this up. He set free the native peoples who were enslaved on it. Las Casas saw as his neighbor those who were not even regarded as human, and he became an advocate for them. He knew he had an obligation to bring others to face the issue also, and so he began to preach publicly against the policy. He began to storm the royal court in Spain with complaints and petitions and recommendations for changing the encomienda system. He protested the use of war as a form of evangelization. He made trip after trip back to Europe to engage support for the Indian cause to deter new expeditions of conquest. He spoke, and he spoke, and he spoke. He wrote treatises and distributed them. He drew the wrath of churchmen and courtiers alike. And finally, after years of nobody paying attention and unsuccess, the world 
finally began to listen to this defender of the Indians as he came to be called. In the year 1542, Charles V, Holy Roman Emperor, same emperor under whom Luther lived, promulgated what is called the New Laws that outlawed the enslavement of Indians. Finally, both lay and cleric began to support the idea of universal humanity and the implications of that for national policies of Christian nations. Why am I telling you all of this? Because in answering Jesus' question, who is my neighbor, Las Casas modeled the love of Jesus to his generation, unpopular though that was. And you and I, we are called to do the same today. Doing so does not mean that people will necessarily thank us. In fact, the opposite may be true. But if we are doing something in order to be thanked, we are doing it for the wrong reasons. Jesus himself became our good Samaritan. He rescued us when we were half dead by the roadside, attacked by our enemy who has come only to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus has bound up our wounds, not with oil and wine, but with his holy and precious blood. Jesus has come that we may have life and have it to the full. The love of Jesus made known at the cross for you and for me is costly. It is sacrificial and it is all-inclusive. It is for all sin, for all people, in all places, at all time. Friends, the love of Jesus has set us free to love and serve our neighbor, no longer asking who, but how. No longer asking who is my neighbor, but how can I serve my neighbor? May God help us to do this for Jesus' sake. Amen.